Today we are closing out a series called Here and Now. I am excited to be a part of it because I get to talk about how we are driven by anger sometimes. Um, and uh, those of you that know me may know that that might have a propensity to happen in my life occasionally. Um, so I'm excited because it really is a, a, a passion of mine uh, to be able to understand how to handle the anger that we have in this life. But uh, I just want to remind you, if you haven't been here to go back and listen to the sermon series, all right? Because we build upon it each week. And if you ever get into a sermon series, we do it for a reason. We build upon it each week. And if something sounds like, I don't know if I agree with that, if you haven't been here, you need to go back because it probably stays in context with what we've been trying to establish throughout the series. So if you haven't been here the last two weeks, go back and listen to what Matt shared with us uh, thus far because it's been fantastic. So uh, let me go to the Lord in prayer just before we get started because i got to slow the racehorse down a little bit. So let's, uh, let's ask God to uh, join my mouth here right now. All right. Dear God, we just come before you right now, and I just thank you so much for all that you do for us. Lord, you are truly an amazing God, and you have, you have given us the victory. You have declared the victory. And Lord, we get to serve you in that capacity as long as we draw breath. And so, God, I pray right now that you just be with the message that you've laid upon my heart. May it truly be your message and not mine. Lord, whatever words are false, let them fall by the wayside. Whatever is true, God, I pray that you just seal up that truth within our hearts, God. So if someone needs to be challenged today, then, Lord, challenge them. If they need to be encouraged, then encourage them. But, God, I ask most importantly today that your name is honored and glorified by everything that is said and done here today. In your precious and holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you haven't been here, we have a theme verse for this series here and now. It comes out of Matthew chapter 7, verses, or verse 24. Okay, and this is out of the message, but it really uh, identifies what we're trying to get across uh, in this series. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. They're not homeowner improvements to your simple standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life upon. And as Matt shared with us throughout the last uh, couple weeks, the truth that we are building our life upon is the hope of Jesus Christ, the foundational truth of the hope of Jesus Christ, the, of Jesus Christ, the absolute hope. As you walk in through the doors, it says we exist to humbly point everyone to the absolute hope. When we think about the word absolute, uh, we live in a world of relativity, right? And Matt shared about this, so I'm not going to go into it greatly, but the reality is uh, truth that is relative is truth not at all, right? Because you can't have a relative truth. So we use this word specifically, absolute, in our mission statement because we want you to know that there's an anchor. There's something that you can build your life upon that you don't have to wonder about. And when the storms and trials of life come, if you don't have an absolute truth, if you don't have something to build your life upon, it's going to be like you're building your life upon sinking sand, right? And so when we read this verse together in a second, I want you to imagine you're actually, you have bought into it, hook, line, and sinker, that Jesus Christ is the rock of your foundation. And that is what you are building your life upon. And there's nothing relative about Jesus Christ at all. And unfortunately, many Christians, I, uh, and I've talked to a lot of Christians, many of them don't even believe that Jesus is the only way to God. It just works for us. That is not absolute truth. <laughs> if it's true, it means that if, if you don't believe it, then you're wrong, right? If Christ is true, then anybody that doesn't believe in him is wrong. 
That's what absolute means, right? So now when we read this, think about your building your life upon the building blocks of an absolute truth. Let's read it together. These words, read it, that means read it with me, okay? <laughs> so together. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. Good job, you guys followed me well there. That's great. All right. Words to build a life on. So everything thereafter, and, and this is the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more. I'm going to allude back to the Sermon on the Mount. But these words are the absolute words of truth that Christ has given us in every area of our life to build upon him. So it's imperative that we understand where our hope comes from. Because if we don't understand where that hope comes from, that hope in Jesus Christ, <clears throat> then we're going to get really messed up when the storms of life come in. And so then last week, uh, Matt shared about, okay, when the storms come, not if the storms are coming, because God and Jesus Christ promised us the storms are going to hit, right? So when they come, he shared with us there's a natural human response to uh, the storms, right? And so we respond out of fear and out of anger, okay? Uh, as a human, we respond out of fear and anger. And the, the reality is, no matter who we are, uh, we respond out of both areas. Now, Given our personalities, some of us are more prone to fear and some of us are more prone to anger. But the reality is this, and what I'm going to make an attempt at doing by the end of this message, is that even our anger is driven by fear. Even our anger is driven by fear. In fact, Matt and I both totally agree upon that. Uh, if we don't, if we can't say that our anger is driven by fear, because people that are angry usually don't want to admit that they're afraid of anything because we're not, right? But the reality is, when we really break it down, it's at least fueled by fear, okay? So remember that as we go through this today, our anger is at least fueled by some sort of fear. So we're gonna figure out, okay, what does that really look like? So then Matt shared last week, he went into the different faces of fear, and then he added, and we did a series on that several years ago called The Faces of Fear, it's a fantastic series. Um, but then he added one last week that I think is absolutely phenomenal because it's the one that really drives our anger, and it's this illusion of security and control. This fear-based decision-making process, we claim it's responsibility and and good wisdom, right? But really, this idea of security and control is an illusion. And this illusion of security and control, what it's disrupted, it creates a lot of fear in us. And he talked about fear last week, so I'm not going to go there. You've got to go back and listen to it. But the reality is that fear of that loss of security and control then translates over into driving our anger. We've got to figure out what does that look like? How do we, how do we keep that from happening within our lives Today, this illusion of control fuels our anger. Hmm. Is there a way around that? And is it even true? So I got to tell you in full disclosure, all right? I have to be really honest with you today. I know this is going to come as a shock, but this is a world that I live in, all right? I've lived in this world of anger for a really long time. Ever since I was a little kid, I can remember losing my anger over my toy little bike. And it was not a bike, it was a tractor, a pedal tractor. And the steering broke, and I flipped that thing over because it wasn't cooperating with me. It was out of my control because the steering mechanism broke, right? Probably because of what I was doing with it. But it didn't matter. It broke. 
So I still remember all this pent-up anger, even as a child. So over the years, I've learned a few things about anger, and I want to share those with you. So those of you that don't struggle with anger, sympathize with me, at least. And those of you that do struggle with anger, I'm going to take all the brunt of everybody's hatred towards us upon me today, all right? So we're going to learn a few things about anger and how to deal with anger in a way that is reflective of godly morals, all right? And I'm not at all saying I do this well all the time. I try. This is a standard that I try to set for myself, knowing that these are the things that I need to implement. If I'm going to reach dealing with my anger in a godly way, these are the steps I need to take, all right? So one thing that I've realized over the years when talking with Christians is, number one, most Christians don't even know how to talk about anger. When I talk with most Christians, I think, well, I shouldn't be angry. Well, I can't be angry. Or it's wrong to be angry. Hmm? I want to challenge you. If that's your If that's what you believe, then you're already wrong from the start, and that's why you have a hard time dealing with anger. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you can't be angry. Nowhere. doesn't tell us to do that at all. In fact, I'm going to go to the Bible just so we can see what does the Bible say to us about anger. Because if we're going to be sharing about what the Scriptures say and how to handle anger in a godly fashion, probably ought to see what God says. All right, so let's go to Ephesians. And I chose the message because... From an original manuscript, this really encapsulates what the original author was really trying to say here, okay? So it says, go ahead and be angry. Yeah, it's okay. Go ahead, be angry. In fact, you will do well to be angry. Ain't no parent ever told their kid that. Yeah, good job, kid. I love the fact that you're angry, right? Especially at me right now. This is going to go good. No, but that's really what this is saying in this passage it would do well to be angry because what it's doing, you're identifying what that anger is that's in you. But here's where we go. So oftentimes we throw this out. We forget the fact that God told us to go ahead and be angry. And we jump to this. But we can't get here if we don't acknowledge the fact that it's okay to be angry to start with. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. Because Jesus said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But in humanity, we try to use our anger to take out our vengeance upon others. We believe it's our job to make sure that we correct other people. And dadgummit, when we're angry, it's really easy. Right? Mm. Don't stay angry. Oh. Yeah, but when I'm really angry and I stay angry, I have a lot of good things to say to people because I can really put them in in their place, right? Don't go to bed angry. Oh, yeah, but my wife... My husband, they're the ones I want to tell off. And if I go to bed angry, then when they wake up, I'm really going to let them have it. Why don't we do that? Why don't we go to bed angry? Why don't we, why don't we stay angry? Why don't we take vengeance out upon others? Because don't give the devil that kind of a foothold in your life. You see, first we have to acknowledge it's okay to be angry, but don't give the devil a foothold. So we've got to figure out the tension. We've got to figure out how do we do that then? Good thing the Bible doesn't have just that one verse on how to deal with anger. We'd be like, oh, God, because that seems impossible. All right, so let's keep going to James. I love this one. My dear brothers and sisters, that's you guys too, it's all of us here. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. You see, most people listen to respond versus listen to hear. So when you're quick to listen, you take time to listen to what the other person is actually saying. We oftentimes just listen long enough so that we can unload our pre-described 
rhetoric or diatribe or pontification of words that we want to correct their erroneous thinking with. And all it takes is that one phrase that they're going to share and out the words of our, out of our mouth the words come because we were quick to speak, not quick to listen. Then we should be slow to speak because when we're slow to speak, it requires us to slow down and listen longer, right? Then we become slow to become angry because when we're actually listening to hear and understand, it actually helps us control our anger. It helps us to be able to keep our mouths from going too fast, getting ahead of what it is that we actually want to say. Because here's what happens. For those of us that live in a world where anger is a little bit more... um, present, we'll just say that, it's easy to justify our anger because it's righteous anger. God would be angry at the same thing. Well, would he? Is that what the Bible says? Because human anger does not produce his righteousness that God desires. But see, we we read that one passage about God's righteous anger, and then we think all of a sudden, if we're a Christian, all of our anger is righteous. Well, that's not what it's saying either. We have to, we've got to figure out this tension. And when we're angry, we've got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That's another element. So anger isn't wrong, but there's ways to handle it. So we've got to be able to figure out how do I do that? Because when we're angry, this is oftentimes the formula that goes right out the window. And we're ready to keep, we're ready to unload, all right? And so just keep that in mind. That's what we do. So now we've got to figure out, okay, who's the best example to give us on how to handle our anger? You say, Jesus? Yeah, good job. Good job. All right, so Jesus is the best example. We're going to go to a couple areas where the Bible talks about Jesus' anger. We're going to start with John chapter 2. This is the temple scene, all right? John chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 says this. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, all right? Remember cattle, sheep, and doves. And the others were sitting at tables exchanging money. Keep going. So he made a whip. He didn't find a whip. He took the time to braid a whip out of cords. And then he drove them all. Remember that key word, all. Drove them all from the temple courts. Both sheep and cattle. I heard the cows and sheep in the daggum temple courts, right? Then he scattered the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. I'm going to paint a really cool picture here in a second. Keep going. To those who sold the doves, he said, get these sheep or get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. As zeal is that anger. And the Jews then responded to him because whenever anybody's angry, uh, if you've ever been on the, if you've ever been angry for a justifiable reason, there's always someone who's gonna be, like, who are you to get angry? You don't deserve to be angry. You ever have that person? In, don't raise your hand, all right, and don't nudge your neighbor either, all right. There's always someone that's gonna be there to question you. It's what happened to Jesus too. What sign can you show us to prove that you have the authority to get that angry in our temple? Okay, that's what the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees were saying to Jesus at this point in time. Now, we need to understand this this scenario to really understand the anger that would have been present in this moment, to be able to understand what the people would have been seeing in our meek, mild, sheep-loving little Savior. You know, the one that we want everybody to believe that Jesus would never hurt a flea, and he was just so mild and kind and 
biggest bunch of bogus bullcrap I've ever read. Like, that's not the Jesus that is in this picture. So I'm sorry if I'm offending your picture of Jesus, but I, you need to understand, there would have been over 400,000 people in Jerusalem at this time. The temple courts where Jesus was at could handle 75,000 of them at a time. The sheep alone that were processed through the temple courts, according to historian Josephus, numbered in 255,000 plus. That's just the sheep. We didn't, he drove the cattle and the doves out too. They didn't line up one by one. It wasn't like they were meeting out in the foyer in the lobby. 75,000 people, 255,000 sheep, money changers galore, tables everywhere, chaos everywhere, and our Savior comes into it. And he takes the time to fashion a whip. Can you imagine the tension? How can one man drive out 75,000 people or disrupt that much? How can one? I'm telling you, there would have been a rage that was a present there that none of us want to put Jesus, our picture of Jesus in. Right? He drove them all out. Money flying, tables flipping, cattle mo mooing, sheep running. It had been a pandemonium in there, right? Jesus was angry. Hmm. So clearly we have an example of external anger. Whew, but I don't like that picture of Jesus. Let me go to a more meek and mild Jesus, right? All right, all right. So, okay, I get it. We don't like that picture of Jesus. Let's go to another passage where Jesus goes to visit someone who died. He goes to console a family struggling through death, all right? And I, all of us are going to have to go through that moment at some point in time in our lives. So John eleven thirty three 33 starts this. This is when Lazarus died. And so he goes and he could have, he's four days late, all right? They told him that Lazarus was dying. He didn't go. He shows up four days later. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. He was angry in his spirit. So the temple was external anger. Here's internal anger. He's angry in his spirit. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And when he saw where they had put him, Jesus wept. So he's overcome with grief, right? right? So we oftentimes focus right here, he wept. Keep going. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, as if you've ever tried to talk to anybody about Jesus, they said, if Jesus is all that good, then why does he even let bad things happen, right? Well, that question's been asked for a long time. Couldn't he who opened the blind mind's eyes also have just kept this guy from dying in the first place? Like, we're very quick to question God and his antics in the first place. And then Jesus, angry in himself again, verse 33, verse 38, both use the same phrase, angry again. He came to the tomb, it was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. Now, without going too far into the story here, the Greek word there, I'm not even going to begin to try and pronounce it because it's a really weird word, but it literally means to snort with anger, to be angry on the inside, Okay. Have you ever scoffed at someone and internally you have this, this anger that wells up? And You don't have to raise your hand again. This is rhetorical. Uh, this internal anger that exists within you. Okay, that's, that's what Jesus was struggling with here. And so when we see this Christ-like figure, externally he's flipping tables. Internally he's angry at this moment of death. We see a Savior who obviously modeled for us that it's okay 
to be angry. But what was he angry about? He was angry about the fact that the intentional design of the way God created the universe and what God has established as ways to worship him were being taken out of context. So this idea of death, death was never a part of God's original design. He was angry about the fact that humans had to experience the grief of death. And any of you that have ever experienced death, you know the anger that exists. It's one of the emotions. It's, it's part of the grieving process. And when any of us go through that moment, there is anger in that moment. And so we have to learn how to process that. Christ was angry that humans had to deal with death at this moment because it was never God's intended plan. And so he brings Lazarus back to life to prove that death can't even stop the Savior. But it doesn't deny the fact that he had to deal with the anger because he was also human inside. So what Christ models for us is this. Christ models that we can be angry externally in the temple, internally at the stage of death, and we can still not sin. So that's the hope that we have. Remember, we're building our foundation upon the hope of Jesus Christ. So he gives us hope that we can be angry and not sin. We can be angry and it won't drive us to fueling our revenge, right? Because Christ modeled it for us. Now the ultimate question we have to ask ourselves, which I hope you're asking yourself right now, okay, well how the heck do I do that, right? All right, well I'm glad you asked because I got two questions for you. First question is this. You have to do the internal work to figure out what's making you angry in the first place. You got to do a little bit of work. Now, maybe it's obvious in certain moments. Maybe it's not so obvious in other moments. I challenge you that there are times where what you may think is the external driving factor, it may be a lot deeper than what you're giving yourself any credit for. You may be very focused on something right in front of your eyes, but it's actually uh, causing something else that's deeper rooted within you, which is probably what you're afraid of. So then you have to do, after you figure out, okay, um, whatever that situation is, then you say, so what am I afraid of? Why is that making me so angry? So I've identified what caused it. Now I have to ask, okay, what am I afraid of? If that actually comes true, what's causing that fear to happen? Okay, let me give you an example. As parents, all right, how many parents do I have in here? You can raise your hand on this one, all right? All right, because you guys can relate with me on this. Unless you've been a parent, as long as you've been a parent for over three months, you'll totally understand what I'm talking about, Okay. Um, how do we go from loving these itty-bitty cute little, little babies that we just want to squeeze their little cheeks to wanting to rip their heads off, right? How do they go from being so sweet to being so conniving and evil? Like, it goes from one moment where we just, we cannot express how much love we have for them to the next minute. I have got to get under control or I'm going to go to jail. Right? Y'all had that moment. You're laughing, so I know you have. It's amazing how they can drive us over that edge, that little person, so quickly. Why? Because they disrupt our control. And you just have to figure out what you're afraid of losing in that moment. Are you losing control over their behavior? <laughs> yeah. Are you losing face because they're making you look bad? Probably. Do they make you, are, they, are, they, are you afraid of what it is that they're going to do? The older they get, the worse their decisions become and the, the more dangerous their decisions may lead down this horrible road and then we live in fear and then we're angry that they would choose that and how did they ever choose that? That's not the way I raised them, right? Yeah, some of you, like, dang, some of this is a little just too real, right? Because our fear fuels our anger. It makes us angry. And that's just our kids. I can throw your spouse in there. I can throw your coworkers in there. This, I, this, this 
control becomes a problem. So I, ca- I call it this. This illusory control creates fear or anger when it's disrupted. Right? So this idea that we think that we have some semblance of control in this world is really kind of just a, it's just a joke. We really have no control at all. And when it's disrupted, it causes us to be fearful or angry. Right? So then you have to figure out, okay, what control in that particular environment and am I losing? What's making me feel so angry in that moment? And again, you can apply that to parenting, you can apply that to your relationships, you can apply that to your co-working spaces, wherever you're at. But we fear that which takes away our control. And then we oftentimes get angry. Not everybody gets angry, but oftentimes people do get angry. Now let's apply that to political agendas. And I don't know if you know this, but the deep, if you actually study political agendas, every political agenda has an agenda, right? They have a goal that they're trying to reach. And they know how to manipulate us. And they just get us all riled up, right? And then we go one way or the other. And for a long time, it was really easy to figure out which one is. We've added a bunch of different things to the mix right now that are really fueling the tensions, shall we speak, in our society around us. But this political agenda creates fear within us, which then makes us angry. For those who wear, uh, we'll just use the masks, for example, all right? So for those who wear the mask, if you don't wear the mask, the fear that you're going to be the cause to kill grandma or anybody else, or you're going to spread the pandemic even worse, it's your fault. And so the fear that is being, our fear that you're the reason why the world is getting worse fuels our anger towards you. Those of you that don't wear the mask are afraid that we are losing our American values. And how in the world can anybody, government, impose upon us these sanctimonious, sacrilegious control elements that are causing us to be a totalitarian society? And if we continue to go down this road, we're going to lose our freedoms. So we have these two worlds that are being fed narratives by both sides and creating a huge divide. And we get angry because our control, our illusory control, the reality is none of us can do a damn thing about it. Unless you do, unless you can. Maybe have a civil conversation so that we can at least understand why we're so angry all the time. Can we, can we have those moments? We've got to understand the tension. We've got to take the time to figure out why are we so uptight? It's hard work. So when we get angry, when we get angry and we feel this coming over us, we've got to take a step back. Uh, I'm looking at Donna and Randy. They had a chance to see me lose it one time. Not that long ago, up in Boone. Yeah. You want to know what the story is? Ask them afterwards. Raise your hand so they can ask you. <laughs> well, how'd the, pastor, how'd the pastor show his hind end? He'll tell you. All right. I'm not perfect at this. But when I feel that anger, if I can, if I can catch it fast enough, it's like, all right. Take a deep breath. Why am I angry? What's causing this to happen in me? What's making this rise up within me in that moment? You know, for example, uh, those of you that are on Facebook, uh, we'll just use social media. The only social media I have anymore is Facebook. Um, And anytime I ever post anything, it's always for a deliberate reason, all right? Now, and it's never to make people mad. That happens, but that's never my issue. That's never my goal, all right? It's fascinating to me how quickly it goes that way. But I actually purposely posted something yesterday. I prayed all week, Lord, just give me something that's funny, that's okay, that's not going to be too bad, but I'm intentionally going to post it because I'm going to use it as an illustration on Sunday. I don't even know if anybody's posted on it yet. 
I forgot to look, but, <laughs> but I did it on purpose because I want to point people to this sermon today about how to handle anger. And so I found a little comedian guy that I think is funny, but not everybody thinks all the f- humor is the same, right? We get mad about who thinks what thinks funny and who isn't as funny, right? And so I put that on there with the purpose because I want to drive people to understanding how to deal with anger. It was very intentional, very deliberate. Now, will it work? I don't know. I, it's a theory, you never know if something's going to work till you try it, right? I have a lot of theories in this world. So I tried it. But I never intentionally post anything on Facebook where I'm going to incite anger. But that's easy on Facebook for me because I know what my intentions are. I have, I have friends all over the spectrum. I don't know if you know this, but on your social media, it's usually filled with friends and family. And so we don't want to intentionally make divisions, right? I love the fact that people will respond to whatever I put because it means they're safe to respond to what I post. And I'm not going to berate them. If I feel like I'm going to, if I ever feel like I'm ever going to post something that I feel like I'm going to have to defend or I am going to berate someone because of their response to me, you want to know what I do with that post? It never goes. I don't do it. Because I am the one who controls whether or not I put anything on my dadgum page. And I can control how people respond to me. Now, in the heat of the moment, that's where I struggle. Because on Facebook, I can control because I know exactly what I put in there. What about you on your social media? What about you in your situations? Immediate control. Can you control yourself? Because the reality is we take a look at what it is we have in this world. The only thing that the Bible tells us that we do have control of is ourselves. It's the only thing that the Bible tells us we should have control of is ourselves. Do we really have that control? So then we have to go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, how do we gain that self-control in that moment so that anger doesn't override us? How do we develop that self-control within us? Okay, Matthew 5, 9 says this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now I love this verse because of this. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, not, go ahead and flip, conflict avoiders. <laughs> Isn't that nice? For those of you that are conflict avoiders, you think, yeah, but I make a lot more peace than the people that don't make peace and don't avoid conflict. Because if you avoid conflict, then you don't ever really have anger, right? No, no, no. Because what happens is you're avoiding stepping into a situation it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. And so in order to keep from feeling uncomfortable, in order to placate those who may you live in fear of, because you're living in fear, conflict avoiders live in fear of the response of whoever it is that they're going to confront. You haven't made peace. You've just not addressed anything at your expense. So then we bottle everything up and we live at no, we, we get nothing accomplished because we've avoided the conflict altogether. That's not what God said. Blessed is that person. Blessed is the peacemaker. All right, so not the conflict avoider. We've got to be able to step into the mess because that's what a peacemaker does. Peacemakers step into the mess to bring peace to two opposing parties or three or four, an opposing situation. Think about it. As a parent, children fighting, we bring peace to the situation. We try to bring peace to that which is causing chaos around us. Sometimes we do well. Sometimes we get sucked into the vortex of our children's problems, right? In our marriages, someone's got to bring peace to the situation. 
I guarantee you, if you've been longer, married longer than a year, you're going to have conflict. How are you going to bring peace to that? You're just going to leave them? Well, that's not what God says is right. We've got to learn how to, we've got to, learn how to bring resolution to that. So that means someone has to step into it. But the only way we can step into it is we've got to figure out what's making us angry first. We can't bring peace to a situation where we ourselves aren't experiencing internal peace ourselves. We have to do the hard work to bring peace internally before we can ever help someone else bring peace externally, right? So this idea of, of maintaining peace and stepping into the mess, we've got to be able to identify what is the mess that we're actually stepping into. And then we have to understand whether or not we actually have the ability to influence a situation. When Christ stepped into the temple, he knew he had authority in that situation to bring peace to it. After he got done driving everybody out, they didn't have to go looking for him. He was right there. Now here's the thing about bringing peace. It doesn't always work. When Jesus got done driving everybody out of the temple, the people that opposed him were not happy with his actions. The money changers, the Jews, the Pharisees, they were not appreciative of what Jesus just did. And yet he was trying to reconcile the relationships. He was showing the way and how this was supposed to work. And yet they denied his message. Okay, That's a risk you take when you desire to be a peacemaker. You risk being misunderstood and being rejected. And the message of hope is also possibly going to be rejected now not always but it's possible so you have to understand do i have influence in the situation i'm trying to bring peace to so when we do this and we think about this peaceful resolution that we want to be able to bring about within us it has to happen inside of us first but the reality comes down to this if our peace is disrupted go ahead and flip to the next one anytime that our peace is disrupted we have to do the internal work so think about whatever situation. You can apply whatever situation you want. But when your peace is disrupted, you have internal work to do before you can ever fix the situation, okay? Let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. We could all agree with murder. That's a pretty bad sign of anger. Like when you get to that point, probably should have done something about it before then, Right? But he says, no, 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 I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Oh, well, I've been angry with my brother and sister on the way to church. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Shoot, <laughs> that's what I called my husband, my spouse on the way into work, or on the way to church, way to driving, you fool. And I'm just joking, none of you said that. We never get in arguments in the cars, right? Therefore, if any of you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift. Leave your gift in front of the altar and go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your, offer your gift. You see, because as peacemakers, we're reconcilers of relationships. That's what Christ did. Our goal on this earth, when we're experiencing anger, First, it's to reconcile this relationship with God. We've got to figure out, Lord, why am I so angry? I've got to get this right here. That's that internal work. And then we are peacemakers. We are to bring reconciliation. And sometimes that means we have to step into a mess and we have to try and bring peace between opposing parties. It does not mean that we avoid it. Well, that looks like it. Jesus didn't look and say, boy, there's a lot of people in the temple today. I probably should come back later. 
This isn't the best day to do this. He stepped into it. He didn't avoid death. He's like, boy, sure is hard to teach people how to worship me when people are dying and suffering and sickness and diseases all around. You know, I'll come back later and talk to them. They're a little mad at me right now. No, you step into it. You can't avoid conflict. But there's no way you can step into it unless you have enough internal peace that you can bring resolution to the anxiety and the pain that exists around you. That's what Christ has left us down here for. And we can't do it on our own. Like I said, like when this is all happening, like when we're angry, it happens in milliseconds, and we got to be able to take a quick assessment of what's going on internally. But our goal, our goal has to be to bring resolution, not to incite more tension. If our goal is only to incite tension, then that then the Lord has some things to say about that too. We have to look at every situation and ask yourself, are you a reconciler or are you an avoider? Because when we desire to bring that peace, God's going to give us opportunities. We're going to spend a lot of time over the next several weeks, you're going to have the opportunity, chances are anyways, to be around family and friends and close quarters. There's probably going to be an opportunity for disagreement to arise. How are you going to handle it? Are you going to be the one to bring peace? Are you going to bring the one to bring division? It's really up to you. But Christ wants us to be reconcilers of all those relationships. So let me say it one more time. You can never be a peacemaker if you are not at peace first. And that takes a lot of honest introspection of what's causing this inner turmoil within you. Okay? Do the work. It really pays off. It gives you an incredible opportunity. And I want to challenge you, if you, when you have this opportunity, don't delude yourself that you have more influence than you do. If, there's, if you don't have the ability to really make a difference, don't just incite anger in other people. Right? Now, I'm not saying avoid conversations that may be difficult, because I, I don't. And I think it's healthy to have difficult conversations. It gives us an opportunity to learn how to express ourselves without getting angry and force ourselves upon people. But at the same time, if all you ever do, and we all have people we know that do this, they'll stir the pot and then they'll walk away and just watch how angry people get. That does no good. That's like a brother to a sister. Ask my sisters. I was really good at that. I can still do it. Watch this. Beep. Poke the bear and walk away. <laughs> right? It does no good. I'm not talking about that. If you can influence a situation, then step into it. But be honest with yourself. We're going to have all kinds of opportunities. Christ has left us down here to bring reconciliation to relationships, to bring peace. But it does not mean we avoid the hard conversations. So when we think about anger, let this be our closing thought. Anger should lead to a proper response. Anger should lead us to a proper response. And if it doesn't, then there's just more work to be done. Does your anger lead you to a godly response? Or does it lead you to a very human response? The choice is yours. I get it. Emotions run hot over certain topics in certain situations. You're predisposed to anger and fear. 
But I want to challenge you. You have the hope of Jesus Christ. He modeled for us how to do this. He walks with you everywhere you go in every situation that you are going to be a part of. You just have to trust him. You have to build your life upon his way of doing things and not our human efforts. Let's pray. Dear God, I just uh, come before you right now. And Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to share your word with my brothers and sisters. God, I pray first and foremost, God, that you would forgive me for the times when I don't live out this exactly either. Lord, in those moments where the, the tensions are high, God, I pray that you would help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Lord, that we would do the internal work to be able to figure out what is it that's causing the unrest within us. Lord, that we would trust you to bring us the peace that only you can bring and only you can establish. God, just convict our hearts. God, you help us to judge our motives honestly. Help us to be aware of the areas where we can make a difference and the areas where we can't. And Lord, I pray that in all those situations, may we never just run from difficulties because we think we're bringing the peace in that moment. Let us just use your wisdom. Help us to know when to speak and when not to speak. Which situation to step into, which situation not to step into. Let us be humble enough to apologize when we make people angry unduly. God, I pray that you just uh, use our lives to glorify your name. Lord, be with everybody in here today as they go and they celebrate with families and they continue holiday celebrations in the next month and tensions are going to be prime for opportunity. God, I pray that you would help them to remember that they can be a messenger of reconciliation and peace during those moments. So God, be with us all. May we glorify you. Forgive us where we fail. Challenge us to live like you and encourage us to keep on going. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.